10 Things You Can't Do While Following Jesus by Mark Satlin, June 10, 2013, Sojo.net, Sojourners is the source. Lots of people claim to be, quote unquote, following Jesus, and then they do stuff like this. Sure, people who follow Jesus do these things all the time, but you can't say you are doing them because you are trying to follow Jesus' example. Clearly, this is not a complete list, but it's a good place to start. They actually, this article does the numbers backwards, so I will do be reading it that way. 10. Exclude people because they practice another religion. Jesus was constantly including people and he did it with a radical disregard for their religion. We do not have a single recorded incident of Jesus asking for a person's religious affiliation before being willing to speak with them or break bread with them. We do have several records of Jesus seeking out those who happen to practice faith differently from him. There was even this one time when he used a hated Samaritan as an example of how we're supposed to take care of each other. I will also add excluding people because they are secularists. That is another issue. Number nine, exclude people for what they look like, how they were born, or things beyond their control. I may have mentioned this already, but Jesus was constantly including people. Jesus had this rebel streak in him that actually sought out folks who didn't quote-unquote fit in. People who are different, people who are marginalized, people who are made to feel unwanted in one way or another held a special place in the heart, life, and actions of Jesus. I suspect he did it because he understood they weren't actually different at all. Touch the lepers, the quote-unquote untouchables. Do it. Eight, withhold health care from people. Did you ever play the game follow the leader? If you don't do what the leader does, you are out. Following means you should imitate as closely as possible. When people who were sick needed care, Jesus gave it to them. If we are following Jesus, we will imitate him as closely as possible. No, we can't repeat the miracles he did, but I've seen modern medicine do things that are about as close to a miracle as I expect to get. Seven exclude people last time promise jesus was constantly including people it's a little concept called love he was pretty big on it six let people go hungry when jesus said feed my sheep it was about more than just a spiritual feeling as a matter of fact if gandhi was right and i suspect he was you can't have one without the other there are people in the world so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. There is not a food shortage in the world. There is enough for everyone. There is not a problem with having a distribution system capable of handling it. I can eat lobster from Maine while looking over the Pacific Ocean. The problem is that we aren't very good at sharing. Five, make money more important than God and, and the children of God. The love of money really is the root of all sorts of evil. We make choices about what we will do with our money every day. Our choices speak louder than our words. 
willing, willingly or not, our choices frequently hurt the least of these and others rather than help them. Sometimes we even hurt ourselves. Our money is so important to us. We are willing to shop at stores because their prices are cheaper, even though we know the products they sell recklessly endanger the lives of those who make them. We buy food that is mass produced with disregard for their health implications because the farmer down the road is more expensive. We'd rather keep more of our money than pay the taxes it takes to provide for those in need. We have a money problem. Four, judge others. That speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and let he who is without sin cast the first stone stuff meant, meant it, Jesus. Three, be physically aggressive or violent. Okay, okay, Jesus is in the temple grounds with the money changers. I'll give you that one. But other than that, Jesus both gave the example of and taught his followers to avoid violent behavior. Put your sword away. Insert your name here. So what about the money changers? See number two. Number two, use the church to hurt people. For the most part, Jesus practiced Judaism. That man could uh, that man could abide. However, there were a few times when he seemed to get more than a bit worked up. Most notably, with the money changers, with most notably, with the money changers in the temple grounds. We could take this chill, peace-loving Jewish hippie from zero to sixty in the flip of a switch, using an institution whose primary goal is meant to be love to hurt people it's important to note that while you might describe jesus as aggressive in the temple grounds with the money changers even then he was not physically violent toward people lastly one the one possible exception might be hate itself but even then hate breeds hate so best to avoid it mark satlin currently serves mark satlin currently currently serves as the minister at van Dahlia Presbyterian Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. He received his master from he received his master of divinity from Wake Forest University's School of Divinity and has undergraduate degrees in business in business administration and English with a minor in computer science. He's an ordained minister in the PCUSA and a self-described progressive. So those are the ten things you can't do. By following Jesus by Mark Sandlin. I repeat, Mark Sandlin. Okay. So let us read the 95 Thesis. The 95 Thesis or a Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences is a list of propositions for an academic disputation written in 1517 by Martin Luther, professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg, Germany. They advanced Luther's positions against what he saw as the abuse of the practice of clergy selling plenary indulgences, which were certificates believed to reduce the temporal punishment and purgatory for sins committed by the purchasers or, or their loved ones. In the thesis, Luther claimed that the repentance required by Christ in order for sins to be forgiven involves only inner contrition and that sacramental confession is unnecessary. He argued that indulgences led Christians to avoid true repentance and sorrow for sin. 
believing that they could forgo it by obtaining an indulgence. These indulgences, according to Luther, discouraged Christians from giving to the poor and performing other acts of mercy, which he attributed to a belief that indulgence certificates were more spiritually valuable, despite the fact that indulgences were granted for such actions. Though Luther claimed that his positions on indulgences accorded with those of the Pope, the thesis challenged a 14th century papal bull stating that the Pope could use the treasury of merit and the good deeds of past saints to forgive temporal punishment for sins. The theses are framed as propositions to be argued in debate rather than necessarily representing Luther's opinions. But Luther later clarified his views in the explanations of the disputation concerning the value of indulgences. Luther sent the theses enclosed with a letter to Albert of Brandenburg, Archbishop of Mainz, on October 31st, 1517, a date now considered the start of the Reformation and commemorated annually as Reformation Day. Luther may have also posted the 95 theses on the door of All Saints Church and other churches in Wittenberg in accordance with university custom on October 31st or in mid-November of 1517. The theses were quickly reprinted and translated and distributed throughout Germany and Europe. They initiated a pamphlet war with the indulgence preacher Johann Tetzel, which spread Luther's fame even, even further. Luther's ecclesiastical superiors had him tried for heresy, which culminated in his excommunication in 1521. Though the thesis were the start of the Reformation, Luther did not consider indulgences to be as important as other theological matters which would divide the church, such as justification by faith alone and the bondage of the will. His breakthrough on these issues would come later, and he did not see the writing on the thesis as the point at which his beliefs diverged from those of the Roman Catholic Church. Background. Martin Luther, professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg and town preacher, wrote the 95 theses against the contemporary practice of the church with respect to indulgences. In the Roman Catholic Church, practically the only Christian church in Western Europe at the time, indulgences are part of the economy of salvation. In this system, when Christians sin and confess, they are forgiven and no longer stand to receive eternal punishment in hell, but may still be liable to temporal punishment. This punishment could be satisfied by the penitents' performing works of mercy. If the temporal punishment is not satisfied during life, it needs to be satisfied in a Catholic belief of a place in between heaven and hell called purgatory. By an indulgence, which may be understood in the sense of kindness, this temporal punishment could be lessened. Under abuses of the system of indulgences, clergy benefited by selling indulgences and the Pope gave official sanction in exchange for a fee. Popes are empowered to grant plenary indulgences, which provide complete satisfaction for any remaining temporal punishment due to sins. And these were purchased on behalf of people believed to be in purgatory. This led to the popular saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Theologians at the University of Paris had criticized this saying late in the 15th century. 
Earlier critics of indulgences included John Wycliffe, who denied that the Pope had jurisdiction over purgatory. Jan Hus and his followers had, had advocated a more severe system of penance in which indulgences were not available. John Haynes von Wessel had also attacked indulgences late in the 15th century. Political rulers had an interest in controlling indulgences because local economies suffered when the money for indulgences left a given territory. Rulers often sought to receive a portion of the proceeds or prohibited indulgences altogether, as Duke George did in Luther's Electoral Saxony. In 1515, Pope Leo X granted a plenary indulgence intended to finance the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It would apply to almost any sin, including adultery and theft. All other indulgence preaching was to cease for the eight years in which it was offered. Indulgence preachers were given strict instructions on how the indulgence was to be preached, and they were much more laudatory of the indulgence than those of earlier indulgences. Johann Tetzel was commissioned to preach and offer the indulgence in 1517, and his campaign in cities near Wittenberg drew many Wittenbergers to travel to these cities and purchase them since sales had been prohibited in Wittenberg and other Saxon cities. Luther also had a rather negative experience and idea with the indulgences connected to All Saints Church Wittenberg. By venerating the large collection of relics at the church, one could receive an indulgence. He had preached as early as 1514 against the abuse of indulgences and the way they cheapened grace rather than requiring true repentance. Luther became especially concerned in 1517 when his parishioners returning from purchasing Tetzel's indulgences claimed that they no longer needed to repent and change their lives in order to be forgiven of sin. After hearing what Tetzel had said about indulgences in his sermons, Luther began to study the issue more carefully and contacted experts on the subject. He preached about indulgences several times in 1517, explaining that true repentance was better than purchasing an indulgence. He taught that receiving an indulgence presupposed that the penitent had confessed and repented, otherwise it was worthless. A truly repentant sinner would also not seek an indulgence because they loved God's righteousness and desired the inward punishment of their sin. Inward, I-N-W-A-R-D. These sermons seem to have ceased from April to October 1517, presumably while Luther was writing the 95 Theses. He composed a treatise on indulgences, apparently in early autumn 1517. It is a cautious and searching examination of the subject. He contacted church leaders on the subject by letter, including his superior, Hieronymus Schultz, Bishop of Brandenburg, sometime on or before October 31st, when he sent the thesis to Archbishop Albert of Brandenburg. Content. The iconic first thesis states, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In the first few theses, Luther develops the idea of repentance as the Christians in a struggle with sin rather than the external system of sacramental confession. These Theses 5 through 7 then state that the Pope can only release people from the punishments he has administered himself or through the church's system of penance, not the guilt of sin. The Pope can only announce God's forgiveness of the guilt of sin in his name. In Theses 14 through 29, Luther challenged 
common beliefs about purgatory. These is 14 to 16 discuss the idea that the punishment of purgatory can be likened to the fear and despair felt by dying people. In Thesis 17 through 24, he asserts that nothing can be definitively said about the spiritual state of people in purgatory. He denies that the Pope has any power over people in purgatory in Thesis 25 and 26. In Thesis 27 through 29, he attacks the idea that as soon as payment is made, the payer's loved one is released from purgatory. He sees it as encouraging sinful greed and says it is impossible to be certain because only God has ultimate power in forgiving punishments in purgatory. Thesis 30 through 34 deal with the false certainty Luther believed the indulgence preachers offered Christians. Since no one knows whether a person is truly repented, a letter assuring a person of his forgiveness is dangerous. In Thesis 35 and 36, he attacks the idea that an indulgence makes repentance unnecessary. This leads to the conclusion that the truly repentant person who alone may benefit from the indulgence has already received the only benefit the indulgence provides. Truly repentant Christians have already, according to Luther, been forgiven of the penalty as well as the guilt of sin. In Thesis chapter 37, he states that indulgences are not necessary for Christians to receive all the benefits provided by Christ. Thesis 39 and 40 argue that indulgences make true repentance more difficult. True repentance desires God's punishment of sin, but indulgences teach one to avoid punishment, since that is the purpose of purchasing the indulgence. In Thesis chapter 41 through 47, Luther criticizes indulgences on the basis that they discourage works of mercy by those who purchase them. Here he begins to use the phrase, Christians are to be taught, to state how he thinks people should be instructed on the value of indulgences. They should be taught that giving to the poor is incomparably more important than buying indulgences, that buying an indulgence rather than giving to the poor invites God's wrath, and that doing good works makes a person better while buying indulgences do not. In Thesis 48-52, Luther takes the side of the Pope, saying that if the Pope knew what was being preached in his name, he would rather St. Peter's Basilica be burned down than built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. Thesis 53-55 complain about the restrictions on preaching while the indulgence was being offered. Luther criticizes the doctrine of the treasury of merit on which the doctrine of indulgences is based in Thesis 56-66. He states that everyday Christians do not understand the doctrine and are being misled. For Luther, the true treasure of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The treasure tends to be hated because it makes the first last. In the words of Matthew chapter 19 verse 30 and chapter, Matthew chapter 20 verse 16. Luther uses metaphor and wordplay to describe the treasures of the gospel as nets to catch wealthy people, whereas the treasures of indulgences are nets to catch the wealth of men. In Thesis chapters 67 through 80, Luther discusses further the problems with the way indulgences are being preached, as he had done in the letter to Archbishop Albert. The, preaches, the preachers have been promoting indulgences as the greatest of, of the graces available from the church, but they actually only promote, promote greed. He points out that bishops have been commanded to offer reverence to indulgence preachers who enter their jurisdiction. But bishops are also charged with protecting their people from preachers who preach contrary to the Pope's intention. He then attacks the belief allegedly propagated by the preachers that the indulgence could forgive one who had violated the Virgin Mary. 
Luther states that indulgences cannot take away the guilt of even the lightest of venial sins. He labels several other alleged statements of the indulgence preachers as blasphemy, that St. Peter cannot have granted a greater indulgence than the current one, and that the indulgence cross with the papal arms is as worthy as the cross of Christ. Luther lists several criticisms advanced by lay people against indulgences in Thesis, chapter, in thesis 81 through 91. He presents these as difficult objections his congregations are bringing rather than his own criticisms. How should he answer those who ask why the Pope does not simply empty purgatory if it is in his power? What should he say to those who ask why anniversary masses for the dead, which were for the sake of those in purgatory, continue for those who had been redeemed by an indulgence? Luther claimed that it would seem strange to some that pious people in purgatory could be redeemed by living in impious people. Luther also mentions the question of why the Pope who is very rich requires money from poor believers to build St. Peter's Basilica. Luther claims that ignoring these questions risks allowing people to ridicule the Pope. He appeals to the Pope's financial interests, saying that if the preachers limited their preaching in accordance with Luther's positions on indulgences, which he claimed was also the Pope's position, the objections would cease to be relevant. Luther closes the thesis by exhorting Christians to imitate Christ, even if it brings pain and suffering. Enduring punishment and entering heaven is preferable to false security. Luther's intent. The theses are written as proposition to be argued in a formal academic disputation, though there is no evidence that such an event ever took place. In the heading of the theses, Luther invited interested scholars from other cities to participate. Holding such a debate was a privilege Luther held as a doctor, and it was not an unusual form of academic inquiry. Luther prepared 20 sets of theses for disputation at Wittenberg between 1516 and 1521. Andreas Karlstadt had written a set of such theses in April 1517, and these were more radical in theological terms than Luther's. He posted them on the door of All Saints Church, as Luther was alleged to have done with the 95 theses. Karl Stadt posted his theses at a time when the relics of the church were placed on display, and this, and this may have been considered a provocative gesture. Similarly, Luther po posted the 95 theses on the eve of All Saints Day, the most important day of the year for the display of relics at All Saints Church. Luther's theses were intended to begin a debate among academics, not a popular revelation, but there are indications that he saw his action as prophetic and significant. Around this time, he began using the name Luther, sometimes a Lutheris, Greek for free rather than Luder, L-U-D-E-R. This seems to refer to his being free from the scholastic theology, which he had argued against earlier that year. Luther later claimed not to have desired the theses to be widely distributed. Elizabeth Eisenstein has argued that his claim, surprised at their success, may have involved self-deception. Haynes Hillebrand has claimed that Luther was certainly intending to, in, to instigate a large controversy. At times, Luther seems to use the academic nature of the theses as a cover to allow him to attack established beliefs while being able to deny that he intended to attack church teaching. Since writing a set of theses for a disputation does not necessarily commit the author to those views, Luther could deny that he held the most incendiary ideas in the theses. Distribution and Publication On October 31, 1517, Luther sent a letter to the Archbishop of Mainz, Albert of Brandenburg, 
under whose authority the indulgences were being sold. In the letter, Luther addresses the archbishop out of a loyal desire to alert him to the pastoral problems created by the indulgent sermons. He assumes that Albert is unaware of what is being preached under his authority and speaks out of concern that the people are being led away from the gospel and that the indulgence preaching may bring shame to Albert's name. Luther does not condemn indulgences or the current doctrine regarding them, nor even the sermons which have been preached themselves, as he had not seen them firsthand. Instead, he states, it, instead, he states his concern regarding the misunderstandings of the people about indulgences which have been fostered by the preaching, such as the belief that any sin could be forgiven by indulgences or that the guilt as well as the punishment for sin could be forgiven by an indulgence. In a, pros in a postscript, Luther wrote that Albert could find some thesis on the matter enclosed with his letter so that he could see the uncertainty surrounding the doctrine of indulgences in contrast to the preachers who spoke so confidently of the benefits of indulgences. It was customary when proposing a disputation to have the thesis printed by the university press and publicly posted. No copies of a Wittenberg printing of the 95 theses have survived, but this is not surprising as Luther was not famous and the importance of the document was not recognized. In Wittenberg, the university statutes demands that the theses be posted on every church door in the city, but Philip Melanchthon, Melanchthon who first mentioned the posting of the thesis, only mentioned the door of All Saints Church. Melanchthon also claimed that Luther posted the thesis on October 31st, but this conflicts with several of Luther's statements about the course of events, and Luther always claimed that he brought his objections through proper channels rather than inciting a public controversy. It is possible that while Luther saw the October 31st letter to Albert as the beginning of the Reformation, he did not post the thesis to the church door until mid-November, but he may not have posted them on the door at all. Regardless, the theses were well known among the Wittenberg intellectual elite soon after Luther sent them to Albert. The theses were copied and distributed to interested parties soon after Luther sent the letter to Archbishop Albert. The Latin theses were printed in a four-page pamphlet in Basel and as play cards in Leap. Zig and Nuremberg, and all several hundred copies of the Latin thesis were printed in Germany in 1517. Caspar Nutzel in Nuremberg translated them into German later that year, and copies of this translation were sent to several interested parties across Germany, but it was not necessarily printed. Reaction Albert seems to have received Luther's letter with the thesis around the end of November. He requested the opinion of theologians at the University of Mainz and conferred with his advisors. His advisors recommended he have Luther prohibited from preaching against indulgences in accordance with the indulgence bull. Albert requested such action from the Roman Curia. In Rome, Luther was immediately perceived as a threat. In February 1518, Pope Leo asked the head of the Augustinian hermits, Luther's religious order, to convince him to stop spreading his idea about indulgences. Sylvester Mazzolini was also appointed to write an opinion which would be used in the trial against him. Mazzolini wrote a dialogue against Martin Luther's presumptuous thesis concerning the power of the Pope, which focused on Luther's questioning of the Pope's authority rather than his complaints about indulgence preaching. Luther received a summons to Rome in August 1518. He responded with explanations of the disputation concerning the value of indulgences in which he attempted to clear himself of the charge that he was attacking the Pope. As he set down his views more extensively, Luther seems to have recognized that the implications of his beliefs set him further from official teaching than he initially knew. He later said he might not have begun the controversy had he known where it would lead. The explanations have been called Luther's first Reformation work. 
Johann Tetzel responded to the theses by calling for Luther to be burnt for heresy, having theologian Conrad Wim Pena write 106 theses against Luther's work. Tetzel defended these in a disputation before the University of Frankfurt on the Oder, Oder in January 1518. 800 copies of the printed disputation were sent to were sent to be sold in Wittenberg, but students of the university seized them from the bookseller and burned them. Luther became increasingly fearful that the situation was out of hand and that he would be in danger. To, pl- to placate his opponents, he published a sermon on, the- on indulgences and grace, which did not challenge the Pope's authority. This pamphlet written in German was very short and easy for lay people to understand. Luther's first widely successful work, it was repented 20 times. Tetzel responded with a point-by-point refutation, citing heavily from the Bible and important theologians. His pamphlet was not as nearly as popular as Luther's. Luther's reply to Tetzel's pamphlet, on the other hand, was another publishing success for Luther. Another prominent opponent of the thesis was Johann Eck, Luther's friend and a theologian at the University of Ingolstadt. Eck wrote a refutation intended for the Bishop of Eichstadt entitled The Obelisk. This was a reference to the obelisk used to mark heretical passages and texts in the Middle Ages. It was a harsh and unexpected personal attack, charging Luther with heresy and stupidity. Luther responded privately with the asterisks titled after the asterisk marks then used to highlight important texts. Luther's response was anger and expressed the opinion that Eck did not understand the matter in which he wrote. The dispute between Luther and Eck would become public in the 1519 Leus Zig debate. Luther was summoned by authority of the Pope to defend himself against charges of heresy before Thomas Cagetan at Augsburg in October 1518. Cagetan did not allow Luther to argue with him over his alleged heresies, but he did identify two points of controversy. The first was against the 58th Thesis, which stated that the Pope could not use the treasury of merit to forgive temporal punishment of sin. This contradicted the papal bull Enigenitis promulgated by Clement, okay, using a Roman numeral again. So bear with me. Promulgated by Clement V in 1343. The second point was whether one could be assured that they had been forgiven when their sin had been absolved by a priest. Luther's explanations on thesis Seven asserted that no one could know that what Luther's explanation on thesis seven asserted that one could be based on God's promise, but Cage Tan argued that the humble Christian should never presume to be certain of their standing before God. Luther refused to recant and requested that the case be reviewed by university theologians. This request was denied, so Luther appealed to the Pope before leaving Augsburg. Luther was finally excommunicated in 1521 and after he burned the papal bull threatening him to recant or face excommunication legacy the indulgence controversy set up by the thesis was the beginning of the reformation and schism in the roman catholic church which initiated profound and lasting social and political change in europe luther later stated that the issue of indulgences was insignificant related to controversies which he would enter into later such as debate with erasmus over the bondage of the will nor did he see the controversy as important to his intellectual breakthrough regarding the gospel. Luther later wrote that at the time he wrote the thesis, he remained a papist, and he did not seem to think the thesis represented a break with established Roman Catholic doctrine. 
but it was out of the indulgences controversy that the movement, which would be called the Reformation, began, and the controversy propelled Luther to the leadership position he would hold in that movement. The thesis also made evident that Luther believed the church was not preaching properly and that this put the laity in serious danger. Further, the thesis contradicted the decree of Pope Clement V that indulgences are the treasure of the church. This disregard for papal authority presaged later conflicts. October 31st, 1517, 1517, the day Luther sent the thesis to Albert was commemorated as the beginning of the Reformation as early as 1527, when Luther and his friends raised a glass of beer to commemorate the trampling out of indulgences and quotations. The posting of the thesis was established in the, in the historiography of the Reformation as the beginning of the movement by Philip Melanchthon, Melanchthon in his 1548 Historia de Veta Actus Lutheri. During the 1617 Reformation Jubilee, the centenary of October 31st was celebrated by a procession to the Wittenberg Church where Luther was believed to have posted the thesis. An engraving was made showing Luther writing the thesis on the door of the church with a gigantic squill. The squill penetrates the head of a lion symbolizing Pope Leus. Okay, what does X mean in um, Roman numeral? Ten. Okay, number 10, Pope Leo X. In 1668, October 31st was made Reformation Day, an annual holiday in electoral Saxony, which spread to other Lutheran lands. October 31st, 2017, the 500th anniversary of Reformation Day was celebrated with a national public holiday throughout Germany. Okay, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. Um... I do not like indulgences of any kind regarding religion. Um, I think that true repentance means a 360 degree U-turn similar to a car concerning driving. I think that Repentance takes time because there's a graduality to it. Um, I think that being sorry for sin is not enough. You actually have to uh, alter your perceptions and alter your inner life. And um, it basically the phrase can't buy your way into heaven may have been influenced by one of these realities in church. And I think the 95 Thesis is one of the sources where this saying may have been inspired by. I think that... um, You know how when they go to the priest on the other side of the wall and they repent, right? You don't need that to be forgiven by God. You don't need that to repent. Um, You can repent by yourself. You can repent with trusted people. Or if you want to repent with a priest... Make sure that these are all 
trustworthy people, not people who would be untrustworthy in thought, word, and deed, and personality. Um, I dare say that I think that for the, on the bondage of the will, I think that people can choose good and evil. People do it every day. By their own willpower, people do make conscious choices of good and evil. And as for justification by faith alone, I think faith is a good starting spot but you also need um, deeds attached to your faith. You're justified by genu- by pure faith with pure deeds. That's the true justification. Um, as for purgatory, here's how I feel. Because life has gray areas, life has purgatory to it. Um, I think purgatory is more than likely real. Here's why. There's gray areas in life, so I wouldn't be surprised if there are gray areas in the afterlife. Life is more pur- life is more purgatory than heaven or hell. Life is more gray than black and white. You know, I think that my concept of God is that God is welcoming us into the shades of gray. God is inviting us into the gray areas of life. So I'll give you an example of a gray area in scripture. Romans. Okay, this is struggling with sin. Okay. This is the biggest example of a gray area in scripture. The biggest examples of gray areas in scripture, the biggest areas of shades of gray in scripture is what I'm about to read to you. The law and sin. This is Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through uh, 25. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, 
it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might have sin might become utterly sinful we know that the law is spiritual but i'm unspiritual so does a slave to sin i do not understand what i do for what i want to do i do not do but what i hate i do and if i do what i do not want to do i agree that the law is good as it is it's no longer i myself who do it but it is sin living in me for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature as a slave to the law of sin. To me, that's a great area because the duality of good and evil, there's nothing simplistic about it. It's extremely complicated and very much complex, very complex. Um, when I said there's nothing simplistic about it, you can't just boom back. You know, that's what people do with black and white, boom back. Great areas make you go, hmm, put your, fin your thumb on your chin, right? And you put your index finger in the middle of it on the bottom part of your bottom lip it makes you go hmm so that's what I mean when I say I think purgatory is real um life is 99% life is 99.9% .9 gray area and life is 0.01% black and white life is more 99.9% .9 purgatory and 0.01% heaven or hell, right? So that's why I'm up to purgatory being real. Purgatory is a symbol for gray areas. So life has its purgatorial aspects and life has great area aspects and I think that I'm open to the afterlife having its purgatorial aspects and gray areas too and so I thought this way because um, not because I recognize the concept of shades of gray not the not the erotica book but the concept of the murky muddied waters of life um, I I really understood that some things are purgatory because not everything is black and white. Some things are gray area because not everything's heaven or hell. Or put another way, not everything's heaven and hell. Some things are purgatory. Not everything's black or white. Some things are gray area. You know what I'm saying? And I've pretty much had to come to those conclusions. Um... Excommunication and heresy tend to be abusive in church because often it's not about um, making sure that our theology is sound-minded, 
But it's more about if you're not my brand of what I think a Christian is, I'm going to kick the devil out of you by kicking you the devil out of our church. And so I never liked their heresy trials and excommunications um, because of the hypocritical intentionality behind them. Um, And so overall, I... Because I do not like Martin Luther because he was a racist towards Jewish people. I dislike Martin Luther because he um, never, I never seen any evidence of him repenting for his anti Semitism. So I do not like Martin Luther. So his 95 theses, to be honest, I don't really care for him because, in my view, There's a way that we can really make sure that we're doing repentance from Jesus' perspective in a way that isn't about just arguing just to argue. Because I read some of these things and I go, I think it could have been better with how to talk about these things. The problem is today's church, by and large, not everybody in church, of course, but a lot of people in church don't have true unity. Um, You know, I never understood why have all these denominations. Um, I never understood why do we have all these different types of churches. Um... Why can't we have all the diversity uh, wrapped up in just a non-denominational church? Um, I respect Christian all the Christian denominations. I respect all the Christian branches. I respect the you know Christianity. I just never understood why all these denominations, why all these denominational fights, um, why are we trying to? have I'm closer to the real Jesus, historical Jesus, biblical Jesus contest more than you, or I don't sin as much as you, you sin more than I do, I'm more righteous than you, you're less righteous than me, and I hate all that. Um, And why do we need a bishop, a pope, a a reverend, a minister, uh, you know, why do we need a holy father, why do we need, um, Right, right. Why do we need all these roles? Why can't we just all be preachers of the gospel if you're in the pulpit? But why all these people and all these ecclesiastical titles are never understood that? And it doesn't make sense to me because that's too many people to get to God. It's like, I'd rather get to God on my own. I respect these positions and you know, people going to these people at the same time, it just never made sense for me. Like, why all these, why the why the preacher hierarchy? That that doesn't seem um, sound to me. That's just my personal opinion. Um, because it makes it look like getting to God is a lot of work and. Why do we need preachers to pray for us? Why can't we pray for ourselves? You know, I, um, 
I think about it like this as I wrap up at the 50 mark, 50 minute mark. Um, I've always struggled with um, religion in the sense that there's more arguing with each other in church than actually living out the Great Commission in terms of discipling people of all nations. And that there's a diversity of thought in the Christian church, so to expect everyone to agree about everything that is said in the Bible in terms of traditional biblical Christian interpretations is untrue and unrealistic because Christian women interpret the Bible differently than Christian men. LGBTQI plus Christians identify the Bible, interpret the Bible differently than heterosexual cisgendered Christians. Um, black Christians, I didn't, you know, interpret the Bible much, you know, differently than white Christians. You know what I'm saying? And Christians who've been abused interpret the Bible differently than Christians who have not been abused. So those are things that we need to consider. Um... And so, in in the church, we have to learn how to lovingly agree to disagree and not make each other out to be heretics and committing them part of sin against the Holy Spirit and blasphemers and Satan's and devils masquerading as angels of lights and 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 just and serpents too we need to get rid of all these things and so there you have it I don't like the 95 thesis because it has Martin Luther attached to it overall I think that Christ likeness can be done without all of the shenanigans